second journey part four of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain second journey part four in the morning i was about to send the interpreter to gamola when i saw the kangar of the bay passing before luxor and the kachef of gene just landing the man from gamola who brought an order that we might have twenty men to work for eight days when i perceived that the bay did not stop i spoke to the kachef to use his influence that the order might be enforced but he seemed desirous of evading it as he was aware it was merely a pretext on the part of the bay he told us plainly that our opponents had calumniated us to the bay and protested that if it had been in his power he would have befriended us accordingly i gave him to understand that it would be to his advantage to be friendly to our party as well as to the other and that the bay's enmity would not last much longer as it was simply owing to some business which had prevented the consul from coming who intended to bring with him presents both to the bay and to himself when all would be set to rights again at length my persuasion prevailed he ordered the men to work and in a few days i collected all the pieces of antiquity together on the quay of luxor and caused a mud wall to be made around them at this time the fellas of gournou were all in great consternation in consequence of another order they had received from the bay not to sell anything either to us or to the french and to get three unopened mummies ready for him on his return which would be in a few days this was a pretext they had no doubt for a general bastinadoing as it was expressly said that the mummies were to be procured by the men who worked for the english the poor sheikh who still could scarcely move began to fear that he should receive another beating and we had just finished some works at karnak and luxor when on the third of may in the morning our gentleman made his appearance at luxor on his return from Daron on landing he came to see our collection of antiques which certainly formed no inconsiderable group he made a remark or two that the head was a very fine piece and so forth and then like a being bewildered ran here and there among the ruins to seek for antiquities without knowing where he went as he appeared to be a little more disposed to hearken to what we had to say to him we complained of our situation stating to him that in consequence of what he had done to the sheikh on the other side of the water the fellows would not work and that although we had brought strong letters of recommendation from the bashaw himself we were without protection exposed to the insolence of our opponents and every one else who thought they might act as they pleased towards us with impunity he inquired if any one had done us any injury and we informed him that our interpreter had been beaten by the fellows of karnak and that the kamaikan after it had been proved said he could do nothing to the assailants as he was afraid of incurring the displeasure of the bay he next asked if i were displeased because he had beaten the sheikh of gournou i said it was not pleasant to see any one beaten without cause for the sheikh had had no dealings with us had not sold us a single article of antiquity but he might treat his own people as he liked for we had no business to interfere either with his orders or with them so long as they were not injurious to us he then wished to know what we wanted 
we said that we wanted to be respected and to be allowed to proceed in our researches we did not wish to be treated with more favor than our opponents but we were desirous of an order to the people of gournou that we might purchase antiquities as well as others and a farther order for the cachefs of aswan and ibrim as we intended to ascend the nile with which he complied and set off on our return to luxor i found two of the fathers of the propaganda whom i had met with on my first journey from redamont to luxor and who were come to see the antiquities as they had treated me with civility on my journey i felt it my duty to return the obligation accordingly i went with them to all the places i knew and in particular to the tombs of the kings the memnonian medinet abu karnak luxor and so forth to me it was in general a source of pleasure to show these things to strangers to hear their remarks and to observe their astonishment and satisfaction after coming so far to view what cannot be seen anywhere else at the same time no vexation can be greater to a lover of antiquity when which is often the case he witnesses indifference even to what is most striking these two holy fathers had been in the country for about ten years and their place of residence was only at the distance of three days journey from thebes yet they had never thought of taking the trouble of such a journey during all that time and probably never would have done it had it not been for my persuasion when i first saw them such neglect of antiquities would be not a little provoking to the travellers who come from london paris vienna and petersburg to see these magnificent ruins on arriving at the first tombs through the entrance which is truly magnificent the holy fathers who had as much taste for antiquity as the animals that brought them complained of being very much fatigued though they had been carried by two very good asses my attention was on the alert for the first burst of their astonishment but how i was disappointed they dismounted without taking any more notice of these magnificent places than if a common building or of a cloister of a convent they sent immediately for the boy who had the bottle of aqua vitae and drank a glass each i thought they meant to take it easily and to examine everything minutely but i was soon undeceived for the only observation they made was on the name of a friend they happened to know which was scrawled on one of these sacred walls in charcoal they expressed their wonder how he had come thither when he had been there and so on and although they were surrounded by egyptian antiquities hieroglyphics figures fine paintings and so forth all their occupation was to inspect the numerous other scrawls on the stones to see whether any more of their friends had been there on our arrival at the great hall they could not help observing the immense sarcophagus that lies there and immediately inquired whether the body were still in it on advancing a little farther and perceiving it had been emptied they concluded there was nothing worth seeing as there were none of the king's bodies to be found at my request they cast their eyes on the painting otherwise they would have walked out without knowing whether it were a tomb or a cellar in the meantime a friend of theirs who not being quite so anxious as the fathers to see these antiquities had seated himself near the entrance as he cared not about coming any farther was calling to the holy friars to make haste and wondered why they would waste so much time in examining such things it may easily be imagined that i was not only disappointed in the taste of my companions but also provoked at their indifference 
and as i saw there was no remedy i hurried them out of the tomb as fast as i could to show them another more magnificent in hopes to have better success accordingly i took them to see the most remarkable of the tombs and that which is reckoned the best this tomb is truly grand it is distinguished from the others not only by its excellent state of preservation but because it contains eight small cells cut in the rock in the first passage on each side of it in which are painted a multitude of articles used by the ancient egyptians such as implements of war domestic and ceremonial dresses decorations musical instruments and in short all that was conducive to utility ornament or convenience in their time so as to give perfect ideas of their mode of living and so forth the ground is white and the colors are so lively and striking that we cannot fail to wonder at them farther on you pass through a long gallery painted with the most beautiful hieroglyphics in as good perfection as the former and in the great hall lies an enormous sarcophagus of one single piece of granite measuring ten feet long five wide six high and six inches thick covered with hieroglyphics inside and out this is one of the largest sarcophagi remaining in perfection at this day there are other apartments communicating with the great hall all of which deserve the attention of the traveller for in them he sees various groups of figures and hieroglyphics indicating the manner of living agriculture and so forth of the ancient inhabitants of the country on our entering i informed the fathers that this was the finest tomb and that it contained paintings of the implements and other things of the ancients which are very interesting they passed the first corridor with the same apathy as the first tomb holding a candle into each of the cells as they passed and peeping in with their heads but without entering the only thing that struck their attention were the hasps on a little box somewhat like those which contain large flasks for liquors on coming out i took the road over the mountain which is a little troublesome but in a few minutes it brings you to the summit and then descends to medinet abu having no better success here i returned with them to luxor a strong wind that arose this day leads me to mention some particulars of the phenomena that often happen in egypt the first i shall notice is the whirlwinds which occur all the year round but especially at the time of the khamsin wind which begins in april and lasts fifty days hence the name khamsin which in arabic signifies fifty it generally blows from the southwest and last four five or six days without varying so very strong that it raises the sands to a great height forming a general cloud so thick that it is impossible to keep the eyes open if not under cover it is troublesome even to the arabs it forces the sand into the houses through every cranny and fills everything with it the caravans cannot proceed in the deserts the boats cannot continue their voyages and travellers are obliged to eat sand in spite of their teeth the whole is like a chaos often a quantity of sand and small stones gradually ascends to a great height and forms a column sixty or seventy feet in diameter and so thick that were it steady in one spot it would appear a solid mass 
this not only revolves within its own circumference but runs in a circular direction over a great space of ground sometimes maintaining itself in motion for half an hour and where it falls it accumulates a small hill of sand god help the poor traveller who is caught under it the next phenomenon is the mirage often described by travellers who assert having been deceived by it as at a distance it appears to them like water this is certainly the fact and i must confess that i have been deceived myself even after i was aware of it the perfect resemblance to water and the strong desire for this element made me conclude in spite of all my caution not to be deceived that it was really water i saw it generally appears like a still lake so unmoved by the wind that everything above is to be seen most distinctly reflected by it which is the principal cause of the deception if the wind agitate any of the plants that rise above the horizon of the mirage the motion is seen perfectly at a great distance if the traveller stand elevated much above the mirage the apparent water seems less united and less deep for as the eyes look down upon it there is not thickness enough in the vapour on the surface of the ground to conceal the earth from the sight but if the traveller be on a level with the horizon of the mirage he cannot see through it so that it appears to him clear water by putting my head first to the ground and then mounting a camel the height of which from the ground might have been about ten feet at the most i found a great difference in the appearance of the mirage on approaching it it becomes thinner and appears as if agitated by the wind like a field of ripe corn it gradually vanishes as the traveller approaches and at last entirely disappears when he is on the spot the third phenomenon is the locusts these animals i have seen in such clouds that twice the number in the same space would form an opaque mass which would wholly intercept the rays of the sun and cause complete darkness they alight on fields of corn or other vegetables and in a few minutes devour their whole produce the natives make a great noise to frighten them away but in vain and by way of retaliation they catch and eat them when fried considering them a dainty repast they are something like the grasshopper in form about two inches in length they are generally of a yellow or gold colour but there are some red and some green to return to our proceedings at luxor by this time our opponents were preparing to depart for cairo at which we rejoiced as we thought we should remain quite alone we had written to cairo informing mr salt the consul of all that passed with the bay but indeed unless a person is present at such occurrences he can feel no interest in them nor understand the disgust they excite i had written also to mr burkhardt on the subject and from his answer i perceived that the bay's conduct excited in him no surprise when at last we thought we should remain alone and pursue our researches in peace i made preparations for recommencing our work at gournou after having in some measure persuaded the sheikhs and the people of the place that they would not incur the displeasure of the bay as i had an order from him which permitted them to work for us and sell us antiques it was agreed that all the sheikhs should meet in the morning and hear the order read 
accordingly we assembled in the grotto that usually serves as a public place for strangers and a sort of exchange for buying and selling antiques a great number of the fellows also came to hear the firman which the great man had written with his own hand and in consequence of the example that had recently been made of their sheikh they were very attentive the firman had been kept by our interpreter well secured in his pocket as the most mighty order that had ever been given and he often boasted of having it in his possession at last it was produced and put into the hands of the only person among the sheikhs who could read it he first perused it to himself that he might read it fluently to the assembly but had not gone far when he turned towards me a look of astonishment however he proceeded to the end and then asked me whether he should read it aloud to the assembly and upon my answering in the affirmative read nearly as follows it is the will and pleasure of hamed the defdar bey and present ruler of upper egypt that no sheikhs fellahs or other persons shall from this moment sell any article of antiquity to the english party or work for them on the contrary it is hereby ordered that everything that may be found shall be sold to the party of mr druetti and whoever disobeys this order will incur the displeasure of the bay i need not inform the reader how i felt on hearing this mandate the very reverse of what the bay had given me reason to expect were i sure of not returning to egypt again i would explain farther how this happened and what means had been employed to influence the bay but as i do not know what fate may attend my future proceedings i shall say nothing on the subject till the proper season when this and many other things of which the world has not the smallest idea shall be explained and the various intrigues be exposed to light that were darkly carried on against me by more than one description of persons under the circumstances i have stated we deemed it of no use to attempt a renewal of our labours and contented ourselves with riding to cairo and entering on our intended journey to the island of philo i had suggested to mr salt that if he could send us a supply of money we would proceed to open the temple of Istanbul a project that was deemed nearly imaginary a castle in the air as no one supposed any temple really existed there after having secured all our collection in one spot and built a mud wall around it and covered it with earth we left an arabian sheikh to guard it and on the twenty third of may set off for aswan as we intended to examine everything on our return we went straight on seeing scarcely anything except edfu and ombos at aswan we took a general view of elephantine and the other islands and proceeded to philo as our station to await the answer to the letters we had sent from luxor to mr salt on our way we took a good view of the cataract one of the principal falls at this season is about thirty feet in length forming an angle of fifteen degrees small boats and congiers can be drawn up or down at all times of the year the prospect of the island of philo and its ruins is truly magnificent particularly at some distance though it is extremely barren it is surrounded by rocks of granite in all directions forming part of the mainland and part of other islands the style of the hieroglyphics proves that the edifice on it is of the last era of the egyptian nation in my opinion of the time of the ptolemies 
there are reasons enough to remove all doubts of this if any were entertained in particular the peripteral temple supposed to have been at the landing-place at the east of the island is evidently of the last school and not half finished the work of the columns is in a much lighter style than the old egyptian evincing if that nation had continued its existence it would have improved gradually and in course of time by amalgamating the grecian elegance with the vast and lofty magnificence of its own works of art would have formed an architecture of which we have no idea but no doubt most sublime there are other proofs that this temple is a more modern structure formed of the materials of an older edifice in one of the columns opposite the gate in the portico which leads to the sanctuary there is in the centre a stone sculptured with hieroglyphics inverted and another stone of this kind is to be seen in the same column on the west side near the ground the whole ruins consists of two temples nearly united together the small temple dedicated to isis is within the peristyle of the larger which was dedicated i believe to the same goddess to serapis and to the rest of the gods the building faces the south with a large portal or propylion flanked by two porticos or colonnades the capitals of the pillars of which are different from each other at the entrance of the first portal lies the obelisk of granite thrown down as mentioned before its pedestal having a greek inscription on it which is a complaint of the priests addressed to ptolemy and cleopatra against the soldiers and the government of the place and proves that the egyptian priests had no influence in the government at that period the inscription was discovered by an english traveller mr banks who not having time to dig it out left it and mr beechey took a copy of it part of another obelisk and pedestal are to be seen in the mud wall opposite there are also two lions of granite which were at the sides of the stairs formed by four steps that must have been in this situation as i observed that the bases of the colonnades were lower than the bases of the propyliae after passing the first portal is the entrance to the pronaos on the west of which is the small temple of isis surrounded by square pillars with the head of the goddess as the capital the inner part consists of three apartments the portico the cella and the atidum the hieroglyphics on it are nearly perfect but almost covered with mud as it has served as a greek chapel on the east of the pronaos is a gallery with several cells no doubt for the use of the priests and the north is the second portal covered with colossal figures like the first on passing this we come to the portico which is reckoned the most perfect and beautiful part of this building the hieroglyphics are entire and highly painted as are the capitals of the columns which are ten in number the figures on the wall of this portico are all divided into several groups forming compartments of five feet high those on the columns forming the ornaments of this hall are highly beautiful there are other ruins on the west of the island which form the entrance into the temple by the waterside and on the northeast are the remains of three arches made by the romans here must have been the landing-place to the island the middle arch has fallen down on the keystones the words sanctum 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 are cut affording clear evidence that this island served as a holy seat not only to the egyptians and greeks but also to the romans 
there are palpable marks of the whole temple having been fitted up for christian worship the walls are covered with mud to hide the hieroglyphics on them and some figures peculiar to the christian religion were painted on this but time uncovered the hieroglyphics again as the mud lost its hold in several places at the back of the temple or on the north side of it are the foundations of a building that served for a greek church and was formed of the stones from the ruins of the other buildings as is obvious from the hieroglyphics on them i cannot avoid observing that this island is the most superb group of ruins i ever beheld together in so small a space of ground the whole island which is not more than a thousand feet in length and less than five hundred in breadth is richly covered with ruins and being detached from the other barren islands which surround it at some distance has a very superb appearance on the island to the west of the philo are the remains of a small temple which has also served for christian purposes there are but few hieroglyphics to be seen and the remains of two sitting figures in granite much mutilated on the south of this temple is a burying ground so much like that of gournou that i was led to suppose it may have been the burying place of the inhabitants of philo though there are other tombs in the mountains on the east of the island during our stay in philo i made a model in wax of the portico of the great temple the beautiful capitals and other ornaments of the columns induced me to do this it was the month of may and the heat was so great that wax incorporated with rosin could scarcely be kept in a mass of sufficient solidity to be reduced into form the thermometer stood as high as a hundred and forty degrees of fahrenheit but the mercury had risen to the top of the glass so that we could not judge what degree it would have reached had the tube been longer an arab now arrived from cairo with a letter from mr salt he had performed his journey in eighteen days all by land the letter brought us a supply of money and to my great satisfaction mr salt complied with my wishes of opening the temple of Isambul, which i had so often suggested to him and i must give him much credit for risking the expense of such an undertaking the uncertainty of which would have deterred most people from doing it particularly as he himself entertained strong doubts of the existence of a temple there for he said in the same letter that he thought we should find no entrance but that it would turn out to be like some of the mausoleums around the pyramids a few days previous to this the two captains irby and mangles had arrived on the island they were going up the nile as far as the second cataract and as there was some difficulty in obtaining two boats we made a joint party and contented ourselves with one only we had to send our interpreter to esne for provision nothing being to be had at aswan the fourth of june arrived and our jolly companions captain irby and mangles proposed to commemorate the birthday of his majesty george the third accordingly we took an old flag we had in the boat and planted it on the highest propylaeon in the island at noon we brought out all our firearms and went through the regular salute of twenty-one guns having only five we had to load them again immediately after being fired and from the heat of the fire and that of the sun the barrels soon became so hot that we could not touch them with our hands at night we repeated our rejoicings and frightened all the natives round who could not imagine why we wasted so much powder without killing somebody 
however it convinced them i believe that we were well prepared in case it should be requisite to make our defence the next day mrs belzoni arrived from cairo a voyage which she performed accompanied only by the irish lad james i could not contrive to take her higher up the nile with us as we had only one boat and therefore left her in the island till our return the account of her stay there will be given by herself on the sixteenth of june we left the island of philo our company consisted of captains irby and mangles mr beechey and myself two servants and maumed a soldier sent to us by mr salt on our voyage up we had much trouble with our crew who were five men and three boys all of one family on our arrival at istanbul opposite deer we found that the kachefs were not there but at tomas we sent an express to inform them that we were to open the temple and meanwhile we proceeded to the second cataract previous to our arrival at wadi halfa we followed the west side of the nile as far as we could go with the boat and then landed and walked three or four miles to the rock ipsur for as i had seen such beautiful views there on my first voyage when the water was high i wished to see how they appeared at this season and to show them to my companions i found them not so interesting as the first time the islands did not appear so numerous nor did the water form those foaming eddies which so finely interspersed the views with white and green notwithstanding this the whole was very grand and i was gratified in seeing it again having returned to our boat we passed the night on the same side of the river the next morning we crossed the water and entered into an inlet of the nile where we moored our boat near the village of wadi halfa the crew took it into their heads to extort money from us by force for which purpose they landed and said we might return by ourselves if we liked they knew we could not effect this without some difficulty as the boat was surrounded by sand-banks we had intended to proceed by land to see the cataract on the east side as i had done the year before but under the present circumstances we deemed it imprudent to leave the boat lest all we had in it should be plundered for the crew had collected several of the natives who were apparently disposed to aid them in their undertaking we would not give up to them and they protested that they would not come on board unless we first gave them some money we then took the resolution to try what we could do ourselves but it was more in appearance than reality for we never could have got the boat out of that place however the appearance of our attempt to strike the sails which must be done to fall down the river with the current had the intended effect for these fellows immediately sent one of the crew to a parley we told him if they took the boat out into the middle of the river we would give them a bakshish but not till then this was agreed on and at last after losing the whole day in this business we returned toward isambul during this day the natives came to examine everything we had on board but they perceived that we were too well armed for them and quite ready for defence in case of necessity on our reaching isambul we found that no answer had been sent from mosmos we waited three days and on the fourth a messenger arrived on a camel he said he came to see whether i were the same person from the english consul who was there the preceding year and wished to open the temple on recognizing me he returned immediately three days after 
the two kotchefs appeared and took up their abode in small huts made of rushes on a sandy bank of the river we waited on their highnesses and were well received as we were much respected for what we might bring with us we presented daoud kotchef with a fine gun powder and ball a shawl some soap and some tobacco this distinction unfortunately caused a jealousy between the two brothers khalil considered himself his brother's equal since the absence of his father i was not aware of this as the first year he was merely an attendant on his brother daoud he was in a terrible rage and informed us that he was as great a man as his brother we told him that we would give him one of our guns but our endeavours to appease him were all to no purpose we passed the whole day without knowing our fate daoud kindly insisted that we should stop and dine with him but i declined it on account of his brothers not being there who had retired to his hut he went over to bring him to dinner but in vain i then went myself to speak to him and after much ado i succeeded in making peace with this great potentate he took one of our guns and some powder and ball and it was concluded that we should begin to work in the morning with thirty men end of part twelve